Today's episode is sponsored by the American Chemistry Council. Chemistry creates, America competes. Russia's ambassador to the United States is isolated but defiant and has way less influence than you might think. I'm Annie Reese. This is Politico Dispatch. You know those jokes that are like, so-and-so walks into a bar? Well, I've got one for you. A reporter. I'm Nahal Tusi, senior foreign affairs correspondent for Politico. Walks into the Russian embassy to interview the Russian ambassador. I do like to do the stories that nobody else is doing. That's kind of what I enjoy doing. On the show today, Nahal Tusi on her interview with Anatoly Antonov, Russia's lonely ambassador to the United States. Earlier, I had written a story about the U.S. ambassador in Moscow, who also is Mm -hmm. a very interesting figure with an interesting family background, and he is obviously in a very strange situation in Moscow. So my editor said, maybe you should do kind of a a mirror version of the story about the Russian ambassador in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And I thought, that's actually a great idea. And I kind of thought that I would write the story without getting an interview. But luckily, I had written about him before, a few years back. Um, It was sort of a semi-profile, and he talked to me for that briefly. Uh, So they were like, come on by, we'll give you the first, you know, spoken interview he's given to anyone since the war started. Uh, But of course, they didn't call it a war, they called it a special military operation. What's the role of an ambassador supposed to look like in quote-unquote normal times? And how does that role change when you're representing a country that has, at that moment, a very adversarial relationship with the U.S.? Yeah, I mean, look, ambassadors are supposed to represent their country's positions and try to advance their country's interests. And at the end of the day, try to maintain a connection with their host nation, right? That applies to like all ambassadors everywhere. And they are expected to stay in line with their government's policy. So when Anatoly Antonov says things that parrot the Kremlin talking points, he's doing his job. And it's not always a comfortable position for any diplomat to be in. To be in. You can be an American diplomat who vehemently disagrees, for example, uh, with the U.S. decision to invade Iraq in 2003, right? But those same diplomats were out there doing their job every day representing the U.S. government's position because that is their job. Mm. Now, of course, there's the question of conscience and how far you're willing to go. And some diplomats want to hang it up. They're like, no, I'm not going to defend this. I'm going to resign. But Antonov is very much a creature of the system You know, people told me, like, he's not the type of guy to resign. He is going to push the Kremlin's ideas. And it was clear that on certain levels, he did believe in some of the stuff. He believes that the dissolution of the Soviet Union was tragic. He Mm -hmm. believes that the Russians got screwed. There's almost like a personal thing where, you know, he and other Russian officials feel like they are not respected the way that they deserve to be. But he's also part of a system that clearly is run by one guy, uh, which is Vladimir Putin, who only talks to a few people, Mm -hmm. which does not include Anatoly Antonov. Yeah, that was the thing that really surprised me was he also told you that he has not spoken to Vladimir Putin since 2017. (laughs) 
I was shocked. Honestly, it was like, it was kind of a one-off, like like a random question that I asked because, you know, my mind was like, oh, what do I ask him next? And then I was just like, oh, when was the last time you talked to Putin? And when he said that, I nearly fell out of my chair. And I asked him like five times to make sure I was understanding properly. I even was like, you haven't even talked to him on the phone? Like, and his answer was like, so that the FBI can listen in? Um, you know, his his view, and as he told me, is like, look, this is the same for every Russian ambassador all over the world. They don't get to talk to Vladimir Putin. Mm-hmm. This is their system. They, you know, send their reports to the foreign ministry or officials that are very close to Putin, top aides to Putin, but Putin doesn't get on the phone with them. And, I, and my reaction to him was, you're not just any Russian ambassador. You're Russia's ambassador to the United States. Yeah. Um, that's different. But, you know, this is this is the system. On the other hand, given the way Putin runs things, given the way that we have seen him recently humiliate some of his subordinates, it's one of those things where you kind of wonder, well, maybe it's smart not to talk to Putin. I didn't go that far in uh, pushing Antonov, but it was it was really fascinating. And I think in many ways it kind of says more about Putin's isolation yeah. than it does about Antonov. So neither country has really severed diplomatic relations, but they're also not really working together on anything, right? So, like, where does that leave him? Yeah, I mean... I- I don't think it's fair to say we're not working with them on anything. Mm. Um, my understanding is, for instance, the Iran nuclear deal, mm-hmm. the Russians are still involved in those talks, though they're not really going anywhere. There are other forums, I think, that they are still involved in. But it's a question of long-term issues, right? So right now, for instance, after years of pulling out of treaties and and other and violating treaties and things like that. There's only one nuclear arms treaty left between the US and Russia and that's called New Start. Mm. And it runs out in like 4 or 5 years, I think. And that is the type of situation where um are we going to just let that expire and not have another nuclear arms treaty between our two countries? Mm. That's scary stuff. And if this war in Ukraine lasts that long, and it could it really easily could. That's going to be disturbing. And I think it's one of those things where at some point the administration, whoever's in charge of the White House, is going to have to decide, you know, how much they are willing to um, cooperate. And if that means, you know, calling Anatoly Antonov in for a meeting, um, then they might have to do it. I mean, how ceremonial is his role right now? Because, you know, you're saying that he's not getting these meetings in the U.S. He's not talking to Putin. He's talking to the Kremlin, but you talk to a former official who was basically sort of like, I don't think anyone really thinks he's a proxy for Moscow, so why give him a platform to troll? Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I just don't think there's any confidence that he has the kind of overt influence on the guy who makes the decisions, which is Putin. Mm -hmm. Um, and so the question is, is it worth it? Like if you're, a, if you're a U.S. lawmaker, is it worth it for him to tweet out, hey, I met with this U.S. lawmaker today and he's totally great with uh, the future of our relationship. And it, w- when that's not necessarily what you said and, you know, you, you're just taking a risk um, given the feelings toward Russia and what Russia is doing and, you know, Antonov, he will do that. I mean, in the, you know, his, his Twitter feed is very, very much about Kremlin talking points. He will post a photo that makes it look like 
you had a big meeting with him when in reality you just happened to walk by him. I mean, I'm, I'm sort of exaggerating a little bit, but <laughs> it, it's a risk. At the same time, though, like if you want to influence other parts of the Russian government, um, there are folks who say it's not a bad idea to stay in touch with him, even if it's just a quiet conversation behind the scenes, hmm. maybe over the phone or whatever. Uh, you know, he does have he knows a lot of people in the Russian system. And Putin can't do everything. He's not keeping an eye on every single thing. And so if you want to have some sort of influence in some particular area, maybe you can get Antonov to send along a message. Mm. Um, it's hard to say, though. It's really hard to say. I think right now the Russian system is sort of cowering in fear in, in a lot of ways in terms of Putin's rule. And so people really are very nervous about staying out of line in any way. One thing he seemed to really echo Putin on in your conversation was this idea of like cancel culture of the West canceling Russia. One of the things the ambassador says he's very concerned about is rising Russophobia in the United States and the West. Basically, what he says is like, you know, canceling of Russians who have nothing to do with the war or whatever. You know, the idea that concerts won't play the music of Shakovsky or books by Russians are supposedly being, you know, pulled from curricula or whatever. And he just said that was absurd. And, and how can you cancel Pushkin, that sort of thing? It's something that um, Vladimir Putin has also raised. Uh, but, you know, honestly, my response to him was, well, I mean, I didn't use these words exactly, but it was like, well, you guys are trying to cancel Ukraine. But I also think, you know, he does make a point in the sense that, like, if this continues and if Russian, like, if ordinary Russians around the world or people of Russian descent really do start facing discrimination, like the way that Asians have over, the, like, the relations with China, um, you know, the, the governments in those places, including in Moscow and, and Beijing, can use that to their advantage, can say, like, look, look at how America is treating its, you know, Russian diaspora. You know, that can undermine the U.S. and the West's dealings with, you know, these adversarial countries, um, especially given that we need a lot of these people to help us. I mean, we need Russian speakers. Uh, we need Mandarin speakers, these sorts of things. So it's, you know, on the one hand, it's kind of like, come on, dude, like, look at what you guys are doing. On the other hand, he is pointing to what could be a very potent weapon in Russia's arsenal going forward. Nahal Tusi, thank you so much for talking with me. Thanks for having me. Also in the news, last week, New York City Mayor Eric Adams said that he would not pledge to make his tax returns public, breaking with decades of custom by past mayors. On Tuesday, he said that he would release, quote, tax information, but did not say what that information would consist of and did not commit to releasing his tax returns themselves. And President Joe Biden on Tuesday said that he would authorize additional security assistance to Ukraine as Russia begins its new offensive in the Donbass, the southeastern part of the country. Today's episode of Politico Dispatch included music composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. Be sure to follow Politico Dispatch if you haven't yet, and if you can, leave us a rating and review. It helps more people find the show. I'm Annie Reese. Thanks so much for listening.